0: to Podcast Sans Frontieres, Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. It's me, Mario! I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. And well, it's just me. Well, okay, no, not just me, but I'll be doing a solo infiltration here, as Brian is unavailable tonight. We are still planning to launch our Metal Gear Solid 4 coverage in September, but wanted to keep the content mill churning and also give a chance to highlight a dear friend of mine who just recently completed a massive games project that I really wanted to showcase here. I'd like to welcome my guest and buddy, Mark Normandon. Hey, that's me. So Mark, do you want to introduce yourselves, uh, tell a little bit about what you do uh, these days and why you might be here today?
1: I guess it'd be awkward if I said no and counterproductive. <laughs> But I write a video game newsletter called Retro XP. I hope you see what I did there with the name. I'm very bad at names, and I am proud of this one because I don't think it's bad. It's a good name. I don't think it's bad. I don't know how good it is. But like if we're grading on a curve for me, which you have to with naming things, superb, really. (laughs) That's great. And I started the whole thing out uh, by ranking the top 101 Nintendo games uh, ever, which is the project that... Manu alluded to, and now I uh, now I'm not <laughs> I'm not writing about Nintendo games all the time anymore. Um, partially because I just wrote about 101 of them, but also because there are so many other video games. And you know, I wanted to um, I wanted to write about games I was playing or games I wanted to play uh, without being attached to the release schedule. Uh, I used to write about video games, uh, you know, a decade plus ago. And everything was very much like news and what we're talking about right now and what just came out and reviewing things, getting it out. It is great to be writing about things kind of on my own schedule. I I can definitely appreciate that
0: with uh, doing a Metal Gear podcast. There is no timely information. Um, I do want to give props. There is like a major speed run thing that was just discovered in the last week. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, But that's about as big as news gets to... um, the Metal Gear community these days, but uh hat tip to Boba for finding like a big major skip in the original Metal Gear Solid. Uh, apparently you can skip most of the comms tower sequence when you're going up and then having to repel down. Um, if you accidentally get shot through a locked door by guards. And I think this was the first time that a uh, streamer Boba was actually playing Metal Gear Solid too. So uh, just blew the minds of our 25 year
1: old community or however big it is. So, <laughs> Yeah that is when they discover stuff like that it's always it's always wild whether it's like an intentional detail um you know like i see the stories all the time about oh they just found this thing in breath of the wild all this time later but it's also funny when it's like an accident you know it's not like anyone planned for you to be able to do that yeah as a developer just the exact confluence
0: of like settings and things that have to be firing at any one moment for something like that to happen. It's always fun, whether it's baked in or not. And, you know, especially with like a Kojima game, uh, you, you never can be quite sure. I'm pretty sure this was a bug of sorts, but, um, you can never be a hundred percent sure.
1: There's a game announcement written in the snow when you fall out that door, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So I'll uh, skip the standard spoiler warning for today, so apologies to anyone who gets off ASMR-style on me doing that. The mission today will be to discuss Mark's history with games and his work over at Retro XB, especially, as mentioned, the recently completed Top 100 Nintendo Games of All Time, which I've been enthusiastically following for just short of a year now, which, Mm -hmm. wow, that it's, you know, been that long. Afterwards, we'll come back around to some Kojima and Metal Gear chat to finish up the episode. And not to spoil things too much, but you can expect Mark back around when we dive into Metal Gear
1: Rising Revengeance. Well, that's a surprise to me. I didn't agree to that.
0: So I want to say Mark and I's friendship goes back back at least six to seven years. Uh, Sadly, I distinctly remember walking out of 2016's Captain America Civil War and instantly beginning the DM breakdown with you, uh, which tells me we were pretty much pals at that point. Uh, Maybe what Mark doesn't know is I was aware of his existence going back to like 2010, 2011, when I was making every possible contact I could in the baseball media world. Uh, back then, I'd often find writers and friends from the various sabermetric-leaning team sites, uh, like Crashburn Alley is how I wound up with a bunch of these Philly friends of mine. <laughs> and I think I found Mark doing some blogging about the San Diego Padres, if that sounds right to you. Um, maybe not, but I think I always associated you with
1: them. Um, I know you're also a Red Sox fan as well. So Well, I was. I was a Red Sox fan. I've given up that. Yeah. In a post-Mookie Betts world, it's also a post-Mark Normandin world for them. I'm sure they're very hurt and upset by it, but it's their own fault.
0: Well, in a post-Chris Bryant world, I am also a post-Cubs fan at this point, so (laughs) I I 100% feel you on that. Uh, But basically, all that exposition is to say, I've been following Mark around like Skullface followed around Naked Snake during the events of Operation Snake Eater, Um, (laughs) but we've, you know, eventually encountered each other face-to-face since then. Well, technically, no, we haven't, but, you know, we've become friends. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and we we found that we have quite a bit in common besides old games and baseball, uh, definitely Star Wars. And I promise I will watch Clone Wars one day or Cl- the Clone War. Clone Wars? clone war whatever um <laughs> and you know obviously we have a love of politics uh specifically from a socialist standpoint um and labor issues which mark also writes about quite eloquently uh usually related to baseball but occasionally stepping out to the bigger world of sports
1: uh what's the
0: name of that newsletter again mark
1: there is no name to that newsletter i said i was bad at names earlier i wasn't kidding
0: well, uh, you can subscribe to that one as well. I believe it's Substack
1: too. So uh, that one's a that one's a Tiny Letter. I've I've been doing it since uh, the start of 2019, and I have not named it, and now I never will. <laughs> a, why Why should I at this point? The newsletter
0: with no name. It has its own kind of poetic ring to it. So, <laughs> um, and we'll uh, link to both of Mark's uh, Retro XB Substack and then this uh, Tiny Letter. What's it called? Uh, baseball newsletter as well. Uh, when we post this episode. Before we dive straight into relitigating your Nintendo Top One Hundred One, why don't we start with what you wanted to do with Retro XP in a macro sense? What your vision was, even if it was just to get all the pesky thoughts out of your head and into the ether.
1: Which you know, having an MGS podcast, I can relate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that definitely played a part in it. Is all of those thoughts just rattling around in my head, um, presumably filling it up and replacing more important information? I don't know, maybe not. But either way, my, my head was full. Uh, so getting that out onto the page felt nice. Um, having a place besides just like shooting off a few tweets is also good. Kind of the, the, the big, the big picture macro plan for it was, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I mean, I play a lot of video games generally and it's, uh, it's kind of good motivation to keep me kind of organized in that regard. Um, you know, I have a lot of video games and sometimes the act of picking one out ends up using up the free time that I had to play it. Uh, so this kind of helps keep me like, keep me going and focused in that regard where it's like, Oh, I'll play about this and I'm going to write about this and Oh yeah, I got to write about another game. So I should play this, you know, so it helps me plan out a little, which, you know, it sounds kind of nerdy to have a, uh, spreadsheet going with things that i plan to write about and play but at the same time i'm discussing a video game newsletter on a metal gear podcast so (laughs) i think like we've we've crossed that kind of crossed that bridge a long time ago as far as being concerned about nerdiness or anything um and yeah I, i kicked it off with that top 101 because i'm a masochist i guess but um it gave me time to figure out what i wanted the the newsletter to be after I was done the project, if that makes any sense. It really does. It's like, oh, I have this initial vision, but I haven't really written about games consistently for almost a decade. And I wanted to like find my voice again and find what I wanted the site to be. So having a focus project up front, that would give me a whole lot of cover for topics for a long time while I figured out everything else that this was going to be after and like in the long term. You know that that's that's what I want to do, and I fe- I feel like it's worked. Um, and you know, you said you've been following it for almost a year. I, I wrote from I started with the rankings in September of 2020, and I wrapped in June. I did I don't know 10 to 12 posts a month, something like that, uh, for the series. And you know, with 101 games plus a couple of like honorable mention, just missed kind of posts in there, that that took a lot of time. And I I started I started playing them all well before that, too. Um, you know, it was like 10 months, basically, nine to 10 months of prep time before I wrote about any of the games.
0: Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that. I thought uh, you might have had some already in the bank or at least started working on them right away. But Oh, boy.
1: Uh, it was um, it was a process. So I, I basically went through... I wrote down every Nintendo game that I thought might make it, which was, I don't know, something like 250 or 300 games. I wrote them all down in a notebook. And then I went to there's a wikipedia page with every game nintendo's ever published or developed and like i wrote down everything from there i wrote down a whole bunch of things from there that seemed interesting or was like oh yeah that's right i forgot about this or i haven't played this but i know i should and i looked for a lot of like underrated underrated like hidden gems stuff that was like only available in like a digital shop on you know like the dsi or something for the few years that store was available so i really like dug deep nintendo's done something like 1300 games so obviously i didn't play all 1300 games they did but you don't need to at some point like plenty of that cream has risen you know so i i, I narrowed the list down to you know a few hundred and um kind of just had to figure out like a skeleton for it all so you know i played all the marios i played all the zeldas i played all the metroids i played all the fire emblems um and that took up a considerable chunk of a list so i just figured out i like kind of a basic framework of those ranked against each other and then slotted other things in and I, I messed with the list for quite a bit after that but but that's that's how I did it, it was actually by playing like a few hundred games <laughs> just as, as prep
0: that's a gargantuan effort um, so uh, that's really incredible and then all the games that you did end up writing about including those just misses um, you know you really gave them you know, some space and some thought. It wasn't just, you know, here's a list and a paragraph or whatever. You you actually took the time, you know, you did a pretty thorough investigation, soundtrack, you know, game design, all that kind of stuff. And obviously just, you know, how you vibed with the game more or less. So definitely glad you're here to take a little victory lap on it. Cause it. <laughs> it I mean, I thought it was a lot of work just from the outside looking in and it looks like it's almost double the work than I even imagined. <laughs> and like, Uh, I know we were talking about this off air, but um, I haven't legitimately played a non metal gear video game in like nine months because I only have time to play metal gear. I mean, I'm also working full time, not, you know, podcasting and stuff, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, I haven't had time to really play anything else. Um, So uh, the fact that you were able to tackle, you know, a bunch of games, you know, games that you've played before games, you haven't games. You may have never heard of until you started doing this list. um, It's, really speaks to the effort that you kind of put into this. So,
1: um,
0: well, thank damn, you. Uh, congratulations.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, the only really negative response I got was from people who definitely found the project like after and just like looked at the list of the games and was like, th- they, they, they make a comment that was like, hey, these things uh, that you definitely explained over the course of months and in like introductory articles and as you did all of this as a series, um, none of it makes any sense. You know, and it's like, well, you just showed up to look at a list. So I like shut comments off on the just the top one of one list because it's like the point of this was not the list. I don't care if people agree or disagree with the placement of them. For me, it was really about I want to write about these and I want you to read about them. Mm-hmm. So maybe someone thinks a game I ranked in the 30s should actually be in the top 10, but like that's fine. Did you did you enjoy the way I wrote about it? Did I did I write glowingly about this game even if the number i put next to it isn't as high as you want it to be you know the the hundredth game on the list was linked to the past and i love that game i think it's great so like that's just kind of like that's just a starting point to like understand what i was doing and how i feel about these it's like yeah this game is amazing it's worth remembering it's worth playing it's also like the hundredth best game that they've ever done
0: The rankings are just such a modern content mill kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure also the degree, like these, you know, it's 100 games, but it might be like the top 5% of, you know, games, you know, ever created or Nintendo games or whatever you want to call it. It's really just
1: of Nintendo games. Yeah. So like, if they've done 1300 something games, and I say something is the 50th best one. It's like, if you think it's in the top 20, we are arguing about like, we are, we're arguing past decimal points here, you know, in like percentage wise. So mm-hmm. it's not even a noticeable difference. You know, I, I promise I love it nearly as much as you is kind of, is kind of the way I feel about all this stuff, but yeah, you know, I know some people come in they're used to just a list and they just scan a list and look for a game they like, and then they say it's garbage and that's fine. Like I didn't write that list for them. I wrote it for my own brain. Like I talked about and, um, you know, as like an exploration of all of these games kind of individually. So that, that mattered a lot more to me.
0: Uh, looking at your top 101, I admittedly have only played 21 of these titles and didn't even necessarily beat all the ones that I played. The games that I did play were generally the Zeldas, the Marios, uh, so not much out of the mainstream. Um, I think a big part of that is when I was really young, we were a Nintendo household through the N64. But maybe more importantly, we were a single console household. Uh, So the Nintendo went away as soon as I got the Super Nintendo and the Super Nintendo went away um, when I got the N64. Uh, But, you know, through that early stages, through the Nintendo 64, um, I played most of the bigger titles that Nintendo had, including the OG Game Boy titles. Um, But because of Metal Gear Solid in 1998, I switched over to the PlayStation uh, side of things, uh, anticipating Sons of Liberty and, of course, all the future Metal Gear Solid uh, titles. So... Um, I did briefly own a Wii and now I do own a Switch. Um, So I've done a little bit of catch up, especially because a lot of older games have been coming out during the pandemic. Uh, And also just, you know, it's a good way to... Make money, Uh, but I, you know, definitely missed out on a lot of games during the GameCube, the Wii U generation. um, That you know, hopefully, I'll have a chance to go back with. So, uh, do you want to give a little bit of background about your like life with Nintendo and Nintendo consoles and how long you've been playing these games?
1: Yeah, I um, actually didn't have an NES growing up. I got a Super Nintendo. You know, not at not at launch or anything like that, but I got it for one Christmas, pretty early on. I think maybe. Whenever, whenever year Super Mario All-Stars came out and it was a pack-in game, perhaps.
0: I had that game. I already had the Super Nintendo, but I did have Super Mario All-Stars, so.
1: That helped me catch up on some of the NES stuff. And, uh, you know, then I had, I had everything after that. Um, I got the N64, not right away again, but, you know, shortly after. I had a GameCube GameCube at launch. A Wii you couldn't get at launch if you wanted to, basically. Um, I was working in a mall and there were two GameStops in there. And I got to be buddy with the manager and he essentially was just going to like, let me know if they got a wee in at some point. And I walked in the store one day, you know, before work and he was like, Hey, we have one. So I brought it to the back room at the the borders bookstore that I worked in. It was just like, "Nice, this is mine. Beautiful. I'm going to, you know,
0: I was lucky. My parents, they live like on the edge of cook County, uh, which is like the County that Chicago is in. Um, so they're not very far from a little more rural Illinois. Um, and I was able to get one from a Target that's just outside of the county limits, basically. Oh, nice. Um, that was kind of under traffic. But yeah, it it took at least like a month or uh, probably about a month of calling a bunch of places every weekend trying to get that Wii because I, <laughs> I needed to play Twilight Princess. It was the new Zelda. Um, and I actually was working and had money now to spend on games that wasn't my parents. So, um That was a big thing for me. But anyways, go on, continue. Uh, You are at the Wii point of your life.
1: (laughs) That was at the same point for me with the Wii where it's like, okay, I can actually, I have a job and I can buy these games now. You know, I got a Wii U on launch day. And even though, you know, 13 other people bought that system, I think that might have had the most games of anything that was on the list. Uh, But like from a technicality point of view, because a lot of those games went to Switch with like enhanced edition versions or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. And a couple of the games that were on there were like remasters or ports, but like that that singular machine helped me access so much of what ended up on the list. Between its actual releases, I played the games that were ported to Switch originally on the Wii U uh, almost universally. It's just loaded. I, I can't remember the number, but I, I think about half, at least half, of the top one hundred one is available on the Wii U. Um, it doesn't mean it came out on the wii u right like originally or anything you know i think that that number is more like 12 or 13 games or something i can't remember uh, it's still high it was the gamecube had the most the, but the wii u was right up there but yeah access to those games so oh man i love that system i still play it even with everything that's been ported over and i gotta switch you know day one as well and that has not disappointed me either uh except this time other people bought it <laughs> so it keeps getting support which is really nice um but yeah, I, uh, I eventually picked up an NES. Um, I bought it at a, like a pawn shop kind of thing, like a one of those places where you can go and like either get your cell phone fixed or you can trade it in, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I got a, my phone died, but it had insurance. So they sent me a new one, but it was like a month before my contract was going to give me a new phone. So then I had this phone that was like a month old and uh, had this new one coming in. So I I sold it to this place and they gave me, I don't know, like 250 bucks for it. Um, but like in store credit, maybe. So I bought, I bought an NES and a couple of controllers and a zapper and I don't know, a a dozen games or something like that, maybe more that were all in stock there. And I was like, oh, cool. Now I have an NES, (laughs) you know, the system is as old as I am, but now I have one, but you know, between being able to do that as an adult and revisiting these, revisiting these things I didn't have in virtual console and the Wii and Wii U and, uh, on the 3DS, you know, I, I kind of caught up. (laughs) on the things that i hadn't played for the most part and then this project pushed me the rest of the way uh the rest of the way with a lot of that stuff
0: very cool um I uh, have some uh, questions that I've kind of prepared for Mark here, so um, I'll just kind of work my way through them. Um, I think the first one, uh, very existentially here, what constituted a Nintendo game uh, for your rankings? Because I know there's definitely some that I remember loving on a Nintendo system and only on a Nintendo system, but uh, perhaps were not considered part of the pool uh, available to you. So what is a Nintendo game really?
1: So it had to be developed or published by Nintendo. I mean, if they if they publish if they developed it, they published it. But it had to be one of the two, you know. Um, so there are games by outside developers that they would publish, like Bayonetta Two. Um, Nintendo published that, so it is a Nintendo game. Um, Bayonetta is not now that it's like exclusive to Nintendo consoles, even though the first one was multi-platform um i felt comfortable say that early in the in the franchise's life saying this is a nintendo game it is now associated with nintendo because they published it but there's other things that like aren't you know nintendo has published some dragon quest games but i don't consider them nintendo games they've been re-released on a bunch of platforms the the series went away for a long time it's you know it's across all platforms now those aren't nintendo games uh the professor layton games were originally ds exclusives published by nintendo but now you can buy them on your iphone or an android phone um they're again it's not nintendo anymore you know and there are some games by like rare where rare published it uh so they've taken that with them you know it wasn't published by nintendo even if it was exclusive to a a nintendo system and they've taken it to microsoft when they got sold off Uh, so like i didn't consider those to be nintendo games anymore which is why, like Perfect Dark, wasn't on the list, even though it's probably my favorite game by Rare. Uh, but other rare games were because Nintendo published those. So I had I had all these kind of little rules, um, and I just tried to be consistent with them. So there were only a couple of examples where I had to like really consider it. Um, Ogre Battle '64, for instance, Nintendo published it in Japan, but they didn't localize it and publish it in North America. Atlas did. They didn't do that because they were hard at work. You know, Nintendo is a huge company worth billions of dollars, but like in terms of the size of their employee, like who were, how many people work there, they're still like small, um, not tiny, but they're relatively small. So they would just leave projects on, you know, they would leave them and not do them. So when they had the GameCube coming and they were trying to wrap up their N64 games there, they left something like Ogre Battle just out there so it got licensed to atlas and atlas published it in north america since nintendo published it originally i i consider that a nintendo game um similarly they published terra enigma in europe and they are responsible for the english localization of that game because of the european localization so i counted that as a nintendo game uh, you know it didn't get a north american release so I, I had to like really think about some situations like that where it's like okay so like does, does this fit? And a few of them ended up being hypothetical and not included on the list. Um, they didn't end up making it, but like <laughs> uh, my logic was consistent. Um, and the only other thing I really had to think about was, you know, what if a game didn't, had not come out in North America? Was I going to count it? So I mostly stuck to like the very best games that had received fan localizations. Um, and as long as that was a Nintendo game in Japan, I counted it for this list. Uh, and there were, you know, there are quite a few uh, Japan only games that I had on the list. Not a ton. If I did it again or I do a bigger version, there'll be more, I think.
0: Okay. No, that all makes sense to me. And that, you know, that gives me a good enough reason not to castigate you for not putting Metal Gear Solid, The Twin Snakes, as number one on your list. <laughs> um, I guess it wouldn't meet your criteria, even though it is uh, the superior game uh, to
1: all games ever. Do you want to guess what game? I got the most questions about the like that was not a Nintendo game that people just kept saying, Hey, is this gonna be on the list? Is this gonna be on the list? Was it that? <laughs> no, it wasn't that. Um Okay. GoldenEye would be my only other guess. Oh, that's a good one. Uh same company, but yeah, same deal. Not published. Right, I figured Or Nintendo Nintendo might have published Goldeneye, actually, but it wouldn't have made it anyway. because Perfect Dark's better. It is.
0: Uh, I definitely agree with that.
1: But I think it's just the bigger touchstone. Yeah, <laughs> it was Diddy Kong Racing is the one. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's one of the games Rare published that. Yeah. Not Nintendo. Uh, and even when it released on the DS years later, um, you know, after the 64 version, when they did like a re-release on the on the DS, uh, Nintendo had to get permission from Microsoft essentially to for that game to exist even though you think of it as being like, well, that's a Nintendo character. Right. It's like, well, all the other ones aren't all the other ones are rare characters. And this game is like, they're, you know, it's all their thing. So that's one that like, I'll write about it eventually. Cause yeah, that game's awesome still. And it's one of the better racing games in that system.
0: Yeah. I would say the
1: superior
0: 64 kart racing game uh, for sure.
1: Yes, absolutely. Which got me a little bit of flack, I think to my uh, dislike for Mario Kart 64, but what are you going to do? My taste is great. I got your back.
0: Uh, (laughs) So, uh, also digging a little more into your criteria, I guess, uh, a lot of the discussion or discourse today is about, is a game worth $60 or will I get a 100 hours of gameplay out of this or an ongoing, you know, experience uh, like is all the rage these days? And that can be very limiting, uh, especially with developers who have a different idea of what, you know, a good video game could look like. So uh when you were coming up with your, you know, ranking, um, what were you looking for and what were you trying to maybe avoid, you know, kind of fall- traps falling into and stuff like that?
1: I am certainly not a value per hour video game kind of person. Um I mean, sure. I can scoff at like if a game's not that great and it's real short and it doesn't have replay value and it costs $60 and like, okay, yeah, I can complain a little if, you're, if it's not something you're going to return to, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of arcade style games, which tend to be short. They're games you can, if you're, if you're skilled and you know what you're doing, you can complete an arcade game in what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, maybe tops right? Uh, you know, one that you like physically pump quarters into. So how much do you spend getting to the point where you can complete a game like that in 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, probably going to spend at least 60 bucks, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really care about that stuff. Like if a game is replayable and you can, you know, you get a lot out of it and you're spending a lot of time, even if like the campaign mode or whatever is real short, I know that doesn't bug me too much. Um, and so it certainly does not bug me way after the fact when I'm writing about some game from 25 years ago or whatever. And it's like, Oh no, the campaign is only four hours. And it's like, well, <laughs> you can, you can buy this game for $7 on, you know, some whatever on virtual console or whatever, or you're just emulating it. So why do you care how long it is anyway? Um, so I didn't, I didn't care about any of that stuff. There's some pretty, there's some short games. Uh, comparatively short games in the ranking. I mean, uh, Star Fox 64 in the 3DS version, I popped it in the, it's in the top 20 somewhere. It is. uh, Um, I I can't remember exactly where, but yeah. So that's, that's number 15, you know, and I put that directly in front of Fire Emblem Three Houses, which I love. Obviously, I ranked it 16 on this list out of, again, we talked about 1300 games or whatever. Um, but like Three Houses, you can play, to get the full experience of that story, you play that game for like 150 to 200 hours, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you spend a lot of time with it. And Star Fox, Star Fox 64, you know, it takes you 45 minutes, 50 minutes to get through a run of that game. And you, but you do it again and again and again and again. And you, you like, you gain more from it the more you play. So, you know, as you can see, just like that one example is like, yeah, length of games, not it's, it, do I want to come back to it? you know? So a long game, do I want to, do I want, do I care that it's long? Is this a slog? Is this fun? Do I want to spend time with it? It's like the the short game version of that is like, do I want to play this again? Do I want to keep coming back to it? Do I want to you know try again? Do I want to be better at it? Do I want to reach the level that will allow me to like master this game? Um, so all those discussions, whenever I see people be like, Oh, this game's not, Three hundred hours long, or this isn't the last game I'll play for my the rest of my life. Like all the Cyberpunk 2077 stuff that people are talking about, where they're like, oh, "There's so much to do in this game; I'll never have to play another game again." It's like, okay, why? Was well, that doesn't sound fun? But that's me. So
0: no, I I I can get behind uh, literally all of that. Um, I Surely I don't <laughs> have to apologize to you know bring up Metal Gear Solid here, but. Um, I love, you know, Metal Gear Solid, which is, you know, really like a four hour game in total. Um, and I love Metal Gear Solid V, which is I put 400 hours into the game. And when we get to that, I'm going to argue that it was around hour 250 where... I actually understood what the game was trying to do, um, which isn't me being stupid, but I think I had a revelation, but I'll save it for then. And then, of course, I am one of the few people who happily shelled out $40 for all of Metal Gear Solid V Ground Zeroes, um, which is like the main story mission you can beat in under three minutes if you know exactly where you're going. Um, So um, I I don't have any of those hangups, but I just feel like it's one of those things that so many like that's what people ask when, you know, like a new especially a AAA game comes out is, you know, questions like that. Is it worth $60, which I don't really like viewing it so transactionally Mm -hmm. um, because at some level video games are art. I definitely I mean, I think they are art, but also video game players make me want to not call it art um, just out of spite. But, like, you know, it's not, it's not like I look at the price of going to Black Widow versus the price of going to the Green Knight and, like, weigh those as, like, well, you know, which movie's worth $15 or whatever, so. Yeah,
1: it is. I understand, like, 60 bucks can be a lot of money. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, but, like, there does come a time where you're, like, this $60 game that is only eight hours long, it's, like, what does eight hours of movies cost? It's.
0: It's basically sixty sixty dollars. Yeah.
1: That's if you don't get popcorn, you know? So see, I don't, I don't all that dollar per hour kind of stuff just bugs me. I just you know, am I having a good time? Like, that's really the thing I care about. If the game's not good, oh man. You know, um I bought R-type Final Two this year. And it's fine. It's like a middle of the road R-type. And that makes me annoyed that I spent fifty bucks on it. Because you know it's not a particularly long game, and I don't. It made me want to play the other R-types I already have instead of that one. Uh, yeah, but like whatever, you know, you trade it in, and then you get something else, and you hope that that's fine. I, I just can't get too bent out of shape. There's, I mean, there's definitely stuff. <laughs> I know, I know why you bought Ground Zeroes, but <laughs> I, man, I did not get, I did not get that until it just like came with yeah phantom Pain.
0: <laughs> yeah and i i totally get that but you know at a certain point it's it's again are am i going to enjoy this <laughs> C- clearly i was going to you that's know. the
1: thing you know yeah. um but yeah i don't know i just can't i can't get hung up on that stuff too. it's uh it was on uh trevor Strunk's no cartridge oh my god can i mention other podcasts on this? yes
0: yes please do um, <laughs> uh trevor is a good friend and You know, we talked a long time ago about having him on here or possibly being on with him. So um, hopefully, this will reignite that. So please uh, go ahead and talk about (laughs) draft.
1: Yeah, he asked me, you know, what like what qualifies as a good game for me, you know, and it was essentially something I want to return to um, for one reason or another, whether it's like the characters or the universe or the gameplay or whatever. You know, I want to return to it. If I just want to play something once, there's probably something drawn with it to some like it could be fine but it might not be memorable it might not be great and that's what i was focused on was games that i think are great you know they're mm-hmm. just fantastic games that i can go back to so i was saying even like even some visual novels like if i know all the twists and i still want to go back that should tell you something about the universe the story the whatever you know and visual novels tend to be short yeah there's some long ones but you know there's plenty of short ones too and i have no problem throwing those up mm-hmm. in rankings or saying those are great or like you should play doki doki panic instead of halo or whatever you know not doki doki panic uh doki doki literature club uh instead of anything call of duty whatever
0: Uh, so the list is definitely filled with your fair share of Zeldas and Marios and Warios and Metroids and all that. Um, are there any games you really want to highlight that you think people may have slept on or missed out on outside of like the bigger titles?
1: The two games on the list by Quintet are both really great, both Super Nintendo titles. There's Illusion of Gaia, mm-hmm. and there's Terranigma, which I mentioned earlier. And Terranigma never got a North American release, but it's uh, there is an English release because that was released in the... Um, in, in Europe. So it didn't need a fan translation or anything like that. Uh Terra Enigma, I think, is the best action RPG on the Super Nintendo. Oh wow. Think of all the action RPGs that are on the Super Nintendo for a second. All the ones that people love that have been re released a million times. I like everyone listening to this who played had played it just like perked up and started getting ready to defend Secret of Mana, for instance. But Right, that's
0: the first one that popped in my mind. Yeah.
1: See? Yeah. Uh Terra better. I think. Uh it's a very, very thoughtful game. It is very different from other games that you've played. And I know this because there aren't other games that are really like Terra enigma, So that's one for sure that I think uh people should get their hands on. I got I got a copy working on my um my SNES classic. You know, it's it's modded so it can play yeah, yeah. other stuff too. Because
0: I was gonna say it's not on mine.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, you can you can just do that on an emulator on your computer or whatever. Uh or whatever your favorite podcast listening device is, I'm sure. Blast Core is one that I think people people who had it know it's great. It came out on the N64, it's a rare game. Um but I think with with just like the glut of things that Rare developed for the 64, it feels like that got left behind, you know, compared to DiddyCon Racing, Perfect Dark, GoldenEye. All that stuff that came out of that system, but Blast core is awesome, and it's another game that there's just not really a lot of of of, uh, games like. So, stuff like that helped some of these games like stick out on the list or make the list. It's just like there is no other experience that's quite like this one, and the experience is great. So, like it holds up it for no other reason (laughs) than no one's no one's improved on it. Kidder's Uprising is another really great one that I think people slept on because it was a 3DS game. And when people envisioned like a revival of the Kid Icarus series, you know, they probably thought, "Oh, we'll do like an up- updated platformer, or, like a 3D platformer kind of game, just like every other series has gotten." Mm-hmm. That's that one's very interesting to me because it was made by the the folks who make Smash Brothers, or made Smash Brothers before uh, Namco started doing it. Um, and it was like a one; <laughs> they just made the the one game with the studio, and then like shut that studio down. But because Kid Icarus didn't get an update in the nineties and early two thousands when Mario, Metroid, and Zelda did, uh, and Star Fox when it moved to three D and all that stuff. Um, They they essentially tried to shove like twenty years worth of games into the game, you know, fifteen years or twenty years of games into this one game. So there's there are enough story beats and plot twists and all this stuff that they could have just spun this out into half a dozen games. You know, a mm-hmm. release between 1998 and 2013 or whatever, but instead they just shoved it all into one and just made it seem normal that for some reason there was like a new terror every single chapter of the game. And they also made half of it like, like an rails shooter, like Star Fox, except flying around this pit, you know? Um, so it's nothing like what anyone expected it to be, but it's really great. The controls took a lot of getting used to, but once I wrap my brain around them, you know, I, I put that somewhere in the sixties, I think yeah, I really, really liked it. Uh, we'll move on to some of the
0: bigger Nintendo titles here now. So, uh, Mario Odyssey is my favorite Mario game and it is pretty high up on your ranking. I think the second highest of like traditional Mario titles, um, traditional more just in the sense that you are Mario exploring some kind of world, <laughs> um, As a celebration of Mario, I felt like it couldn't be beat, um, and the way its simple controls could be used to essentially break the game, quote-unquote, and you can jump all over the place and jump on your hat and basically get everywhere, Um, it would just seem like just the most openest of Mario sandboxes I've ever played. Um, However, it was outranked by Super Mario Galaxy 2, which is one I haven't played much. Um, so could you explain how you kind of rank just the Mario games? Because you have nearly 40 years of video game history there. Um, it is the flagship title and the mascot for Nintendo since its early days. Um, do you just kind of your Mario methodology is kind of what I wanted to add here.
1: So, yeah, I played all of those again. Uh, as I as I had said before, to make that like skeleton framework for the whole for the whole list I really agonized over the Odyssey ranking um you know in early drafts of the list it was like in the top 10 just based on like my first playthrough of it you know from when it came out I was like oh yeah this feels like a top 10 game and then as I kept like going back and playing the other ones I started to be like huh (laughs) I don't know I really like these other ones more and then I replayed Odyssey and I was like no I really do like these other ones more uh, which I know sounds weird. I'm saying other ones, plural, when I when you just said that I only ranked one in front of it. The the list wasn't just purely like I think this is the best. There was a little bit of like trying to be objective about it, and I understand that part of my I'm air quoting here dislike of Super Mario Odyssey relative to expectations is uh just that what it does is not my favorite thing that Mario does. Uh, so I, it's kind of like I bumped it up in the ranking slightly for recognition that like. It's not exactly for me, but it is definitely it for most people from just the reaction to the game. Uh, cause I actually like two of the other Mario games that are behind it in the rankings, like real close. I think they're two or three spots behind. I like those more, but you know, we're talking again, a few spots on a list of 1300 or whatever. I prefer things built kind of out of the like Super Mario Brothers three, uh, framework for Mario games. Uh, things that are they're like happy to try a million ideas and they don't necessarily feel compelled to stick with any of them. They just want to like do them and have you, you're just going and going and trying new things and trying different levels. Uh, Both galaxy games are very much like that. Uh, Super Mario galaxy two is basically super Mario galaxy, but better in every way. So that, that ended up taking the top spot. It is, flawlessly executed on like vision of super Mario brothers three, but in 3d sort of thing. Um, I I like a little less the Mario games based on super Mario world and super Mario world is great, but I think it has a little more uh, like some more flaws and I don't think the exploration is quite as good. Um, So things that are based more off that, I I like a little less and I feel odyssey is more kind of in that vein. Uh, The, the, the new super Mario brothers games are also very, Super Mario World and I also feel like they don't they're not like they're iterating on the same concept, they're not trying to grow it. Um which is fine cuz like as a business strategy of like hey, you grew up with these Mario games, your kids should grow up with them too is essentially like the new Super Mario Brothers business plan. And it works. They're good games. I just didn't, you know, there's only one of them that made this list and they've they've got like four four or five of them by now. So it's little things like that, you know, that I just had to like consider as I replay these all and had to like confront what my favorite parts of Mario are, and like when they're at their best. and um, I don't love the direction of Odyssey as much because um it's a little too you said you like the sandbox the sandbox nature and the openness of it,
0: among other things, but yeah,
1: I like that less., uh, I like the focus that went into the kind of stages they used for Galaxy, for instance, where everything is it's not open but it's very it's all designed very cleverly so that they're essentially levels built on top of levels and depending on what you like which star you're looking for the levels work in very different ways it's like the technical mastery of the initial concept of super mario 64 you know yeah and i understand why they change directions after that because they i mean you haven't played galaxy 2 yet but if you do i hope you will play and you go oh mark Mark knew what he was talking about there. Like, yeah, that's like this is the limit for that style. um So I, 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 I love Odyssey. I think it's great. It's just like as it's, it's not my favorite direction that they've gone with Mario. And uh, for the most part, those games were ranked kind of in order of release because I do feel like generally Mario, the the next Mario game is like almost always better than the the one that came before it. There are some exceptions, you know. Like I said, I don't like the new Super Mario Brothers games quite as much as the old 2d platformers and galaxy two and odyssey are obviously out of place but it's it's not quite like zelda which is, i think i ranked like all over the place with no regard for release year you know because they, they tend to just be like oh this is better this is better
0: no that makes sense to me i think it also makes sense that odyssey hit me that you know i probably hadn't played a earnest mario title since was it maybe the first galaxy and i didn't even spend that much time with it um, no, it might have been Sunshine even. Uh, so, you know, it it kind of felt like it hit me probably harder because I probably missed Galaxy and Galaxy 2 um, and maybe some of the intermediary titles in there. And uh, yeah, so it kind of caught, recreated that Super Mario 64 feeling for me. But that's probably because I would was, what, 20 years removed from that now at that point. Uh, So it just felt good. I think there was also just kind of a special glow to the fact that um, there's very rarely that you get a great Mario and a great Zelda game in the same year. (laughs) Um, And the fact that it was the launch year of the Switch, and they just had like a banger Mario and a banger Zelda, like, you know, within, you know, six months of each other. It just... I don't remember feeling that way about Mario and Zelda since I was like, had an NES and got like the original Mario's and Zelda's, um, you know, well after both were already out to public, but it kind of had that kind of feeling to me. So.
1: It definitely captured something special. I think new Donk city was it for, like, that was my favorite part of the experience. Cause I think it it was, it was the best representation of what they were going for, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it was the concept at its best, but then there's some, like the desert was okay. The like jungle at the beginning was okay. You know, like there's nothing. Yeah. Again, we're talking in like comparative terms. It's there. It's a great game. I ranked it 17th. I just mean in comparison to like some of the stuff that's in like galaxy two. Yeah. It's just a matter of preference. Um, I like the, the focused condensed uh format of the galaxy games better than like the openness. It's just two, it's two different uh, interpretations of Mario's past and uh, it's which, whichever one you prefer, you know? So I certainly don't begrudge anyone who likes Odyssey more, even if they're wrong. So the last
0: thing I want to ask you about for the top 101, at least, is naturally your number one game, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which to me, it's the correct answer easily. Uh, I'm pretty sure Breath of the Wild is the best game I've ever played and one of only two titles alongside FF6, that would be a possible non-Metal Gear Solid answer you'd get for me of what my favorite game might be. <laughs> to me, it's ba- it's a masterpiece of game design, of theme, and I definitely 100% include weapon durability in that. Uh, thankfully, this is my podcast, and I don't have to deal with angry replies about how that ruined <laughs> the game or anything. Um, but as a whole, the game felt so new and so fresh, but familiar, uh, because it's wrapped in the same lore and games, you know, and, you know, touchstones of the franchise that I've come to love over also almost 40 years at this point. So I can't even really begin to explain the joy I felt like, honestly, in the first 150 hours playing that game still, and even through the second time I played through that game. Uh, So I'm just going to open it up and, you know, dish on Breath of the Wild for me, please, sir.
1: (laughs) I think I opened the ranking with this so a lot of these articles were pretty standard length you know for like an internet feature like 1500 words 2000 words or whatever i think i wrote like 5500 words for breath of the wild and probably had another 3000 in the tank easy but i was just like i have to stop i have to stop before this takes people entire an entire day to read you know Mm -hmm. there's just so much to love about the game and i really fought against that being number one it felt too obvious. I was afraid of like recency bias. I was afraid that it was just wrong to to love it as much as I do, you know. But yeah, it's it's just so good in so many ways, and there's so many things to love. And playing it, playing it the third time, uh, in order to to write about it uh, for this project, you know, I, I played it at launch, and then after I got laid off, I played it again on like the the master quest difficulty because of course <laughs> I it was something to do besides sleep. you know yeah so i played a lot of that and god it's just so special there's just so much the fact that i've i spent you know 200 plus hours on it in those first two playthroughs and then found stuff i hadn't found yet in my third playthrough it's just it just blows me away uh and the stuff's enjoyable like regardless of what it is and i just love the i love that you don't need a goal Mm mm-hmm you know uh like you have your overall goal of like yeah yeah you take care of ganon before he awakens from his like demonic slumber whatever you've got some time just picking a point on a map and going there not knowing what's there and waiting to see you know what it is that you find oh man it's such a special feeling yeah or i liken it to the like one more turn thing with a civilization game you know Mm -hmm. uh except it's like just one more hill i'm just gonna crest one more hill I'm just going to go past these couple of trees over there. I'm just going to go see what that rock's doing. It's just, and then it's three hours later, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and you've looked at a whole lot more rocks. You've looked at a whole lot more trees. (laughs) You've exploded enemies in various and exciting ways that you never knew you could. The whole game is an experience, but I think that the every moment in that game is its own little experience packed into it. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible how just impressive (laughs) an achievement all of it is and i know like the normal zelda team gets so much credit for for zelda games cuz they're awesome you know that and mm-hmm. they're just really really great games uh this is such this was such a team effort by like nintendo as a whole in ways that i don't think their games always are uh the developers of the xenoblade games uh monolith software they designed the landscape they designed the the, the whole map because no one in no one in nintendo like proper None of those studios had ever made an open world game of that like size, that magnitude that needed that level of detail that needed, it needed to, you know, be like pretty and worth exploring just for the sake of being pretty and exploring it mm-hmm. with no other benefit other than like, oh, I want to take a screenshot of this. This looks nice, you know, uh, but Monolith does that in the Xenoblade games. They they straight up, they have, have you ever played a Xenoblade I have not. So they they have these areas that are just like secret scenic spots. They're not on the map. And you just like you come out of some cave that's like off the path that you would never go to if all you did was go like the most direct route to every destination in the game.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, you come out of some cave or something and like there's an amazing waterfall or a view of the ocean or just the view of the mountains or something and like a a little alert pops and you get experience enough to like gain a level for your characters uh and it's just essentially like you know there's some message about finding like the secret scenic area which is basically just the game going congratulations you found beauty in nature you know yeah like there's nothing else here there's no item there's no whatever it's just this is pretty isn't it so they had the people who like do that just for fun and design all these big huge maps in these interesting worlds they, they like took care of the landscaping the landscapes in Breath of the Wild and they're doing it for Breath of the Wild too as well so I love how much of a just a huge effort of like Nintendo knowing the strengths of the people it could rely on even if it's not normally the people who make Zelda you know uh, and like understanding those strengths and not weaknesses necessarily but like holes in the development team and then applying the solution of just like calling up these developers, they, you know, own the studio for, and then, you know, I just made one of the greatest games of all time in the process (laughs) and arguably the best (laughs) Nintendo game. Uh, Just this like recognition of what, what they can do. It's it's such a small thing in a way, but I'm so focused on this idea. Um, Maybe because so many AAA games feel like they mess up such obvious things or leave such obvious things on the table. And it's for lack of time or lack of care or lack of attention. Just lack of something you know <laughs> man Nintendo just went all out
0: yeah no it's really great uh and it's like it's both dense and open it's both complex and very simple it's kind of a bunch of things at once like I know this isn't the proper use of min and max, but, like, they kind of min-max, like, the systems in the game so that they're, like, completely simple. That's the minimal. But then you can, like, follow them to their logical conclusions, like with the stasis... Rune, how you can basically, you know, put in enough momentum on an object to fly across the map. Um, It almost, it's like unbounded in what you can do. Like they laid out some like very simple rules, um, some very simple systems that kind of stack on each other. Um, But then after that, like what can happen from there almost feels like unscripted um, to, to to a degree, which... There are very few games, you know, I can only think of maybe one or two that really justify a true open world scenario. Um, And I think this is definitely it. Um, Because every, like you said, every place you go, every step you take is like an adventure in itself. Um, And everything you see, you can basically get to. Um, You might not be able to get to it right away. It might be a lot farther than you think it is. Um, But, you know, you can almost get to anywhere you want as long as you kind of understand, you know, how to you know boost your stamina or whatever uh, you know to climb a thing or whatever, so um, it's just brilliant game design uh, to me.
1: Uh, really haven't seen too many things quite like it. So much of the game makes you feel like you discovered something on your own mm-hmm. that no one else has figured out, and even though you know that's not true and that it was done on purpose, you know, the fact that you can like trick yourself into feeling that way. While playing it, that your natural reaction is just like, oh, oh, I'm doing something special. I'm doing something unique. Oh, man, it just feels so good. It feels so good to play. And that's really like, regardless of what I'm doing, if I'm if I'm completing shrines, cool. If I'm like focusing on the themes of the game, you know, it's great. The theme, the themes in the game are really, really incredible. I think the the story is maybe not super, super strong. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But the themes of the game and the way you're supposed to feel and the way you're supposed to see the world through Link's eyes, that stuff is like as good as it gets. Uh, as far as Zelda goes, which is saying something because I'm—I hear people say a lot of the time that like Zelda games don't have strong stories or themes, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> I'm like, how do you how do you reckon with any art that you have like had put in front of you? There's so, there's so many, yeah. Like, yeah, like, okay, Link to the Past has, it's a pretty, like, for Zelda now, like, cliche kind of story. But the very next game, Link's Awakening, asks some really heavy stuff of you. Mm -hmm. And asks, like, posits some really heavy questions. And that was a Game Boy game from the early 90s. So, like, themes being a significant piece of a Zelda game is not new. But Breath of the Wild, definitely at the forefront for those. And, man, I can't believe, (laughs) I'm just very excited for Breath of the Wild 2. Not with any, like. Same specific thought behind it, other than the same feeling I have when, you know, you do crest that hill in breath of the wild and like, Oh, there's something in the distance. I'm going to go to it. I just had that same kind of like little excitement of like, I can't wait to come over a hill and breath of the wild too is there. And I'm going to see what it has.
0: Yeah, no, I I'm excited for it also in the same way though. Um, I hate to basically be the topic of a hard drive article, but um, if they do add a hook shot into you know, that kind of gameplay, I would I would absolutely go nuts um, because I, I love a little grappling hook action um, no matter what it is. So, um, no, I'm really looking forward to it. And like you're saying, the themes are so good and they connect so well to the game design. The world is broken. It needs healing. Uh, the things, you know, we care about need attention or they'll rot and break. And that, you know, is the sword. It's the Hyrule Kingdom. Um, it all just, it works so well as a coherent singular work or, you know, game. And honestly, uh, we could probably go on <laughs> forever on breath <laughs> of the wild. Mark wanted to, um, Uh, You know, in his write-ups, I kind of want to right now and I'm trying to restrain myself. I also know it's one of Brian's favorite games. Uh, So I think at some point we're just going to fucking do a Breath of the Wild episode. And honestly, I, as someone who only plays Metal Gear Solid, I got Metal Gear Solid 3 vibes specifically from Breath (laughs) of the Wild. Um, There's a lot of the same... survivalist uh, you know and food systems they all kind of made sense to me Um, yes I was quoting trying to play on that boss baby uh, tweet there oh yeah
1: no I I got the meme drop I got it
0: I wanted to end the conversation today bringing it back to Kojima and Metal Gear Solid, of course. So the first question I want to ask, of course, is how you first came to a Kojima game or Metal Gear Solid game, and then your general history playing them, because I feel like some of it's a little more recent than, you know, my experience with these games.
1: Oh, boy. My history with Metal Gear Solid. (laughs) All right. Pull up a chair. Uh, (laughs) So... I did not have a PlayStation. My sister had a PlayStation, so my first chance to play Metal Gear Solid was actually Twin Snakes uh, on the GameCube, uh, which I really, which I really liked. But and you should get used to me saying this right now. I didn't finish it. <laughs> I just I got stuck. It's I was so bad at stealth games for a very long time, and I couldn't. I, I just had some baby brain thing going on with Metal Gear where I could not. I could not play the games violently and I could not play them non-violently. You know, I just like could not make it. So once, once things got a little more complicated or there was a specific boss fight that I like couldn't figure out, it didn't matter how much fun I was having. I would put the game down and I would never go back to it. And it would just sit there on my shelf until I sold it. So it stopped looking at me, you know? So then I didn't play, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 because I was like, oh, I never finished Twin Snakes. So whatever, I don't want to start to, uh, rarely do I ever get the second game in a series. If I like, haven't finished the first game, I like to play things in order, you know? Mm -hmm. So I didn't play three either. Yeah. It makes sense. (sighs) Metal Gear Solid four rolls around and I'm like, Oh, people seem really excited about this. It's, I know it's a little different. It's a little more like combat oriented and a little less sneaking. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I waited at a midnight release at a GameStop I had I, it was like a game time decision, you know. I got it reserved like that day, whenever the last reservations you could make were. I had someone drive me down there at night. We waited to go get it. I got I don't know two hours into the game, and again I was just like, I can't do it. I, I suck at this. I'm so bad. I can't play it. And then it just sat on my shelf and stared at me forever. I bought Peace Walker for PSP a day one again. This time it's going to be different. It was not different. You know, just like, that kept happening. So Metal Gear Solid uh, 5 comes out, or it's coming out, and I tell Kate, my wife, um, we might have been engaged at the time, but whatever. Um, I was like, do not let me pre-order Metal Gear Solid 5. Do not let me buy Metal Gear Solid 5. I'm like, I, I need you to not let me do this. Because I do the same thing every time. I buy one of these games, I get really excited, and then I just get very frustrated because I suck at these games five as you know is extremely different from the other ones so i see it on sale at some point with it's phantom pain and ground zero uh ground zeros and it's like 25 bucks or 30 bucks or something on ps4 and i buy it <laughs> kate's not with me she cannot tell me not to do this <laughs> I, i've lost the voice in my ear that says you told me not to tell to not to let you buy that which she actually did at some point where we were like at a store together and it was there and i looked at it and she's like you told me not to let you get that and so i didn't but then i was there without her and i bought one but then i played it and i kept playing it and i played it and i played it and i played it and i i played the whole game and i beat the game and i loved it and then i went i'm going to play all of them i'm going to do it i can do it now i <laughs> have i have the <laughs> momentum yeah. so i bought the i bought the collection on the on the ps3 yeah that has Almost all of them, you know, like everyone you could fit on there. Right. (laughs) So I played all of them in, um, I played them in chronological order, not release order. So yeah, so five was obviously out of order, but I jumped from five to three to Peace Walker to, you know, I did all that. Um, So it was jumping around systems, obviously, because all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm playing, I'm playing a PSP game on the PS4, I'm playing a PS4 game and now I'm playing a PSP game on my PS3 and now I'm playing NES games or MSX games. Right, right, right. It was awesome. It was so, it was great. And I, I beat all of them. I beat all of them. I did it. I finished every single one of them. Um, I played Metal Gear Solid, the PlayStation version, and I played the Twin Snakes version. I've like, I have no more Metal Gear skeletons haunting me. You know, like they're all the ghosts are gone. It's great. And I love it. And I, I'm so excited to play them again at some point. And now I'm like very much into it. And because I played them, I played them all like in a row too with nothing else in between. Mm-hmm. So I got extremely into Metal Gear when I was doing it, but it, it felt good to like <laughs> get rid of that. It was just one of those things of shame where I'm like, I should love these games. I feel like I should be good at them, but more importantly, I think I would love them. And I just like, couldn't, there was a wall. And I don't know, I don't know, getting through Metal Gear Solid Five, I I don't know it's, you know. it's like when you try and work out and you just decide like you don't feel like doing it. So you give up because it got a little hard. Mm-hmm. I think I just had that with Metal Gear Solid in general, but I, Hey, I've done it now and I love them all. And Metal Gear Solid is good. So long as you don't beat it at two o'clock in the morning and then I have to watch the whole ending when you are already like, Oh no, I need to go to bed. <laughs> no, I, I definitely hear that. Um,
0: I want to put a pin in Metal Gear for just one second because one of the games you recently covered in your new to me series, uh, I don't know if it's a series, but it's definitely how you titled this article, um, was Snatcher. Um, so I want, I wanted to know what it was like playing that game almost 33 years after it's, it came out and how it kind of spoke to your understanding of Kojima and his game philosophy and design and all that.
1: I think the best explanation I saw for Snatcher is that it's like a, it's like a student film of his you know
0: that's a really good way to put it
1: it's like all the all the beats are there all the hints of like who he is going to become um whether they're related to sci-fi or like film homages or just being a weird pervert mm-hmm. like <laughs> it's all there I think it's missing someone pissing themselves or whatever but like you know he'd get to it he'd expand his horizons yeah it was really fun I liked it better than police knots which is another early one mm- mm-hmm of his. Um I think the the story was tighter, the characters were more likable. Yeah, it just had kind of you know, the only negatives about it really are just like kind of like of the genre cuz it's very like visual and novel adventure, so there's a lot of like Right. there's a lot of kind of guesswork about like, oh, I have to choose these options for what I'm doing in the correct order or else it, like it won't work. Mm-hmm. But it's just like yeah, an adventure game from 1989. That's what happened. You know, but the the version I played was the um sega cd one which also had like voice acting and you know like looked kind of looked better for sure than the 1989 version Yeah, it's really cool uh especially seeing like kojima does blade runner you know uh was really the the thing because it's a game about you know the snatchers are. it's like oh it's these robots that are snatching humans so like they'll they'll kill them and then they'll take their place in society and you don't know for what and you're part of um you're part of this, uh, not really police force, but like a special forces specifically designed for like hunting these, uh, these snatchers down. So it's like a cool thriller kind of story, like Blade Runner, real mystery, uh, fully realized world. You know, there's all this extra, it's not really extra cause it helps like flesh out the world, but you know, it's all this stuff that like, you didn't have to put there to make the world as fully realized as it is, but it's Kojima, so he did. I really liked it. <laughs> the the references the the like self references started very early in his career because you know the original release of this game I think was 1989 so your your little like detective buddy is a robot named Metal Gear that is based on the Metal Gears from the past this one has very different functionality than those ones you know because this takes place in like a a future you know mm. a dystopian Blade Runner esque future <laughs> there's all these little you know like references to Metal Gear or Things that became references in Metal Gear, like later ones. Uh, so yeah, student film. Like I said, but it's still, that's not like a negative. It's fascinating to see like part of the origin story for him opening up more. It's a, it creates this bridge between the Metal Gears you saw from the MSX NES era and the one, like what Metal Gear Solid would become, you know, as a, as a franchise. It's really cool. Uh, highly suggest seeking it out i'm sure
0: it's something we're going to try and cover we're going to try and work in the msx metal gear games at some point we'll probably we'll definitely do death stranding i'm sure so um at that point i imagine uh snatcher and uh, police knots will be uh at least reviewed and discussed to some degree on this podcast so uh Coming back to uh, the Solid series, we are about to dive into Metal Gear Solid 4, which is generally considered the weakest of the mainline Solid games. Um, However, the two of us have specifically talked glowingly about it uh, in recent years, uh, especially with its themes on war and general awfulness the game seemed to portend. Um, So just kind of what are your thoughts on 4 and does it deserve its reputation? Um, And for
1: getting reputation,
0: you know, what's still valuable about that game?
1: I mean, it's definitely uh, like study in excess by him in terms of everything's a little too long. Everything's a little too big, but like, I don't, it doesn't bother me. I understand if it bothers somebody else sort of thing, Mm -hmm. but it does bother me. You know, it's the, it's, it's the end for Solid Snake for just this huge iconic character. So like, go big. The man does not know subtlety. And this is, this is the farewell to this guy who he has spent so much time with, you know? So yeah, of course it's big. And you, you, you touched on like the anti-war things and the, the talk about kind of the, the, the forever wars and, you know, the, I mean, you, you've made the joke a million times on Twitter and so have I about the ID tagged, mm-hmm. you know, X, Y, Z kind of stuff. It, it's one of those games where you're like, man, I hate how relevant this is in my everyday life. I hate how much I think about this game's themes <laughs> and what this game was trying to tell me. But uh, yeah, so a lot of that stuff was just really well done and well thought out and yeah, some of the cutscenes were too long and it was definitely like coachma just being like, I'm going to make a 30-minute cutscene because no one's going to say no to me. But again, it's fine. If you go into it knowing that like that's what it is and that's what it's like, it's just – you got to schedule correctly around it. Like next time I play it, I will not finish it at 2 o'clock in the morning. Lesson learned. Now I know. <laughs> but I, I, I really enjoyed it the first time or the first time I actually managed to get all the way through.
0: Right, right. I understood.
1: <laughs> and – I feel like I will enjoy it the second time. You know, we'll see. Uh, I wasn't let down or anything when I got through my, my marathon of, of Metal Gear. Uh, I thought it was really great, like, just cap to the whole series. And I know, obviously, five came out after or whatever. But, like, you know, we're talking about just an order of operations here. Like, that is the end of the series. Yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's very fitting. And um, I'm, I'm excited to go back to it at some point.
0: Yeah, I think going back to our earlier conversation about rankings and gradients and rankings, I think it's gotten a lot of its reputation as the weaker one of just because all the other games are generally because um, if you look up any kind of and I don't want to endorse like Metacritic or any other like rating system, Metal Gear Solid 4 is still pretty much a 9.8 or above game everywhere you'll see it ranked it's just it's competing against a bunch of other games and people probably only think of it so lowly because they're comparing it and ranking it against Um, because I've started playing it again obviously for uh, coverage and I'm finding it to be actually just awesome (laughs) Um, I like no notes so far I still haven't gotten into the excesses of act three and act five yet Um, but you know so far it's great especially that intro in the Middle East Um, I'm finding a lot of it um, all that stuff about, you know, ID tagged soldiers and, you know, carrying ID tagged weapons um, is just as much about video games that is as it is about warfare, um how everyone logs in, you know, and plays their first person shooters over and over again. Um, I'm finding it to be, again, very prescient and I don't like to be a Kojima predicted it kind of guy, but I think it still has a lot of value in its themes, both in terms of its politics and in terms of uh, games and what it generally tries to say about games like he always does. So um, with that, uh, one last question for you is uh, we'll we'll get back to this, but um, we're going to have you return for Metal Gear Solid Rising Revengeance, um, something that me and Brian kind of knew when we started this podcast was we wanted to have you on for that game. Um, so can you talk a little bit about why uh, Metal Gear uh, Revengeance is something that is a game that you know I've associated with you, I guess, for lack of a better term?
1: Well, probably because I'm the kind of person who can appreciate that in the first five minutes of that game, Raiden races down a clock tower with a sword in his hand and cuts off the head of a Metal Gear. Just you're dodging missiles, running down at like full cyborg speed, (laughs) face down in this clock tower, and then just slice off this thing's head at the bottom of it. And it's just the coolest fucking thing to see and to do. And I love that so much. I'm, I'm a huge Platinum Games guy in general. Uh, like early, early in their career, loved them before they were platinum, and then they did that, and I was in on all those early games. So them getting a Metal Gear game was so cool to me. A little, you know, it was like so cool, but it's like, oh, I'm not gonna. It's still like impenetrable Metal Gear because I'm like, I can't play it until I play this other stuff. This is like my self punishment, you know. I play all the other stuff, and I play Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, which is also. Just a perfect name because it's awful. It's so bad, but it's so bad in a way where it's like it's incredible. It's so good. You can't make a better name than that name. It's so video games. It's so Metal Gear. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just all my talk about Platinum Games, pretty much incessantly. Uh, I mean, I've already talked about a different game of theirs on this. So yeah, man, I that game is so fun, and it's like there's a lot going on there. You know, it's short. You know, we talked about we talked about shorter games versus longer games earlier you know, it's, it's a breeze to get through in terms of time. It's not a breeze difficulty wise, but it's definitely a breeze in time, but man, they packed, they packed a lot of like metal gear feeling speeches and twists and philosophy and all that into this game where like at its simplest is you running around as a cyborg ninja with a sword slicing everything you can in half. I love it. (laughs) That sounds great. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, I got, uh, a PS Now subscription last summer, and I almost started playing Revengeance. But when the ideas for doing this po- uh, podcast started percolating, I'm like, you know what? That's going to be a game I can play for the podcast. And um, really do that. So I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, when Brian talks glowingly about re, uh, Revengeance, the first thing he always mentions is that within five minutes, you're beheading a Metal Gear. So um, th- <laughs> See? like basically the two peoples <laughs> whose video game opinions matter most to me have both like cited the same exact reason for loving Revengeance. So um, that, that gets me really excited for it as well.
1: Every critic who didn't give it a perfect score after that happened is a coward. They should have just put it down and been like, a plus 100 out of 100 10 out of 10 whatever the, your rating system is perfect one thing uh
0: i think brian brought up uh recently was the fact that uh one of the you know theories in the metal metal gear solid uh fandom is that uh revengeance is Oticon writing an anime about raiden um which also which I, I i actually am a big fan of that you know having not played the game Oh my gosh! I, I really like that theory, and I, I, I it might hold up because he is a he is a fucking otaku. So, <laughs> video game players, huh? So that's mission complete for this episode. Uh, before we do our regular sign off, I want to thank Mark again for joining us. Mark, tell tell the loyal listeners of Podcast on Frontiers
1: where they can find you. You can find my video game writing at retroxp.substack.com, and my <laughs> writing for my other newsletter that doesn't have a name. Wow. That's just rolls off the tongue <laughs> is it's my name.com, not my name.com. It's Mark <laughs> Um, it's M-A-R-C for those who listen, but do not look.
0: And w- we'll be sure to, uh, link both of those when we post this episode um i should figure out how to put urls in the what's it called the podcast app but i'll definitely put it on twitter as well so you should be able to uh find and subscribe to mark's work who will hope to have back on again for revengeance but if he keeps doing the work he does at retro xp he might force my hand and we might have to have you on sooner oh boy So um, (laughs) our frequency is PodcastSansFrontieres at gmail.com and at PodSansFront on Twitter and Instagram. I've been Manu, also known as Bomb. Brian's not here, but I'll go ahead and say it. We're men with names. (laughs) Uh, Shout out to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, aka DJ Empirical on Twitter. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember, keep it retro.
1: letter